Hi, friends. Welcome back to With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. I'm Richard Kasparowski. Things have changed quite a bit in the United States, my home country, and around the world. The health crisis is practically all I think about. At times, I think my work, including producing this podcast, is completely irrelevant. It's not helping anyone survive. I should be spending my time on something more valuable. It turns out we recorded most of these podcast episodes many months ago, and we have a regular production rhythm to share them with you. I've decided to continue publishing the podcast because it's important for us not just to survive, but to thrive. We need to continue staying connected and sharing our best with each other. I'm hopeful that this podcast will help us thrive. I wish you good health, and I look forward to seeing you in our future world free of this coronavirus. And now, the original introduction to this episode. In this episode, I talk with Radhika Dutt, an entrepreneur, product leader, and co-founder of Radical Product Thinking. Vision-driven products is the core of Radical Product Thinking. But figuring out the vision of your company and your product takes a lot more than just scribbling a list of good wishes on your website. Radhika gives us a few tips on how to define your vision effectively. To support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com. Our special guest today is Radhika Dutt. Hi, Radhika. How are you? Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. And it's my pleasure having you on the podcast. I'm so glad you could join us today. Likewise. I was looking forward to it. Will you introduce yourself to our listeners? Great. So I'm Radhika Bhatt, and my background is that I've been an entrepreneur and a product leader, and I've built several products. And what I do currently is uh, I've been working with large organizations and small, and I co-founded uh, Radical Product Thinking as a movement of leaders creating vision-driven change. And I'm also working on a book about Radical Product Thinking. All right. You're going to have to tell us more about radical product thinking and vision-driven change. What's that all about? Excellent. So for that, you know, I have to tell you a little bit about my story, which starts with, you know, I mentioned that I started companies and built products. My first company was actually called Lobby 7 and was right after I, or actually while I was still graduating from MIT. And it was myself and four other classmates and we started Lobby 7. And, you know, we did exactly what we all talk about doing in building products, which is iterate, try things, and you see what works in the market, right? If one thing doesn't work, you try more and so on. And that's how we built our our first product. Uh, And what we ended up building back in 2000 was an early version of Siri. And That experience, right, really taught me that iteration alone is not what we should be using to build products. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, while we did this back in 2000, where, you know, we kept iterating and then finally we came up with a product, all the iterations that we had to go through in the meanwhile, you know, sucked up a lot of the funding And as a result, by the time we built this product, the Siri back in 2000, right, we ran out of our our funding. Mm -hmm. And so the company did get bought out. It became what is now known as Nuance or part of what is now known as Nuance. But, you know, the lesson from Lobby 7 was there has to be a better way of building products. And 
So, you know, what was interesting though, was every time we built products or every time I was leading product teams, et cetera, or, or advising other startups, et cetera, and building products myself, there was the same pattern of product diseases that kept coming up. And this was both in large companies and small. And, you know, I've worked in so many different industries from broadcast and telecom to media and entertainment, ad tech, AI, even wine. <laughs> and yet these same diseases keep coming up in all these different industries, right? And so the, the question that it led me to was, is it that building good products is a matter of just an innate skill? You either got it or you don't, or is this something that we can actually learn? And so that's what led to radical product thinking. Uh, there were two other people that I met along the way, uh, Nidhi Agarwal and Jodi Kays. And we all three had found the same set of product uh, diseases over and over. And so we said, you know, let's build a framework where we can really make it easy to apply product thinking. And that's how radical product thinking was born. So it's really a methodology for building these vision-driven products. And it makes it very practical because it's a very step-by-step approach. Okay. By vision-driven product, what do you mean? Yeah, excellent question. So I like to talk about products as being either radical products or iterative products. So iterative products, that's kind of what we're really familiar with, right? That's where we build products by iteration, trying one thing that doesn't work, trying another strategy and so on. Mm -hmm. And a radical product is where you're fundamentally creating change, like where you're changing the nature either of user behavior or doing a new way of uh, creating a product that's altering the nature of something. So that's why it's radical. So to really illustrate what I mean by radical versus iterative, right? Let's take the example of Tesla Model 3 versus a Chevy Bolt. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a really famous auto expert, Sandy Monroe, who took apart these two cars. And so if you open up a Chevy Bolt under a hood, right, it turns out it actually looks very much like a gas car, except it happens to be electric, And this Chevy Bolt, if you focus on just one area, let's pick the cooling system. So this cooling system in a Chevy Bolt, there are three different cooling systems. One's for the engine, one is for the battery, and one is uh, for the cabin. And if you, let's say, compare this to a Tesla Model 3, you open it up and it looks nothing like a traditional car, right? And if you focus in on just the cooling system, you find that it's one single system that does heating and cooling for the entire car. And they actually call this thing super bottle. And they designed it ground up from scratch. Even, you know, it's, it's an incredible, you know, piece of just thought process. And what was particularly astonishing for this auto expert was he was saying, you know, we've talked about this in Detroit for a long time. But the thing is, in Detroit, each of these cooling systems and components of these cooling systems would be somebody's fiefdom. And so when Tesla had to come up with this, right, they were not limited by silos in a company, right? It was figuring out how to do something and fundamentally create change. And a radical product like Tesla's is also driven by a very different vision compared to the Chevy Bolt. So if you compare the two visions, Chevy Bolt's vision was they wanted to beat Tesla Model 3 to market with a range of over 200 miles. It was a vision that was about reacting, right? 
If you look at Tesla Model 3's vision, that was about making an affordable car that made it so that we were reducing our dependence on fossil fuels without making it a compromise for the driver. Right. And so these fundamentally different visions led to fundamentally different products. So in the, the result, basically, is that the Model 3 is a radical product that Sandy Monroe says, you know, this is not inching up. It's really a revolution. Right. And, and the sales results show for it, right? It's been outselling the Mercedes Class C, BMW 3 Series, and the Audi A4, all of those combined. Mm-hmm. And the Chevy Bolt, by the way, it's not a bad car, actually, it's, it's a nice little car. It's just not revolutionary. And so that's the question that we have to ask ourselves and what we're building in our teams. Do we want to build iterations of status quo, which, by the way, may be okay in certain cases. If you have an established product and, you know, you're growing it, et cetera, maybe you're just building an iteration. Or maybe you need to think about building radical products. And that's really what radical product thinking is about. How do you build these radical products? All right. Thanks. Now, this is the podcast about teams and the best teams that you've ever experienced in your life. Is there one of those for you or which which one of those is yours? What's the best team of your life? So I think there are two teams that I have found absolutely amazing. One that I'll focus on was the one that was counterintuitive. I didn't expect this to be the best team, right? Mm -hmm. And so let me tell you why I didn't expect it to be the best team. All right. the management actually did not have a clear vision for what we were doing, where we are going. And within the team itself, right, it was almost like the sense of, okay, we as a team, and it was almost like us against them, you know, us in the team versus the management. So, so that, you know, you never expect that in a good team. Right. The second thing is, we were outsourcing some of our engineering. So some of our engineers were uh, local and the rest were based out of India. And the third thing is that the entire team was actually very new to Agile. We had only just started being Agile like a few months before I joined. And despite these three things, right, it turned out to be absolutely one of the best teams to the point where even though we've all dispersed after years, we do reunions together. We go do our thing that we used to do, you know, when uh, we were all working together. and, And it's something that continues today. All right. Now, and if you could take yourself back to this team, it sounds like sometimes you do, you have these reunions. If we could go back to this team right now, sort of take a mental journey, a spiritual journey back to this group of people and, and the work you were doing together. And if we could re-experience that work and, and being together with that group and, and really relive it, is there one word that you could use to describe the sensation of what it feels like to be together with that, that group? I think the one word springs to mind is cohesive. Like it was, it just felt really cohesive. We just gelled well together. And that's the thing about this team, you know, that I never remember it feeling confrontational. And it's not to say we didn't have good discussions, but it never felt adversarial ever. You know, if I look back, right, there were a few things about this team that was incredibly different, right? I said, okay, why it was unlikely that this would be a good team. You know, when I walked in, the management didn't have a clear vision, right? How do you how do you have such a cohesive team when that management didn't have that um, vision? What was right. interesting was that we then built 
a really clear vision for what our product was going to do. So regardless of whether the the whole company and the management team had a vision, we had a really clear vision for the product. And we knew exactly whose world we were trying to change and what we wanted their world to look like. And we were driven by this vision. And it was cohesive as a team because, uh, you know, it wasn't like, you know, as the product leader, you know, I was telling the team, we should do this. And, you know, everyone else just followed. It was truly one of those things where we shared this vision for what we wanted to do for our users to the point where after everyone had had watched user testing and everyone had this shared understanding of the user, there were occasions where, you know, I had written up the user story and the engineer actually came to me and said, you know, I read your user story and sounds like you're saying this, but I really think you want this. Like, Uh is this what you want? I was like, yes, you're exactly right. You know, that's that's (laughs) really... Uh, So my mistake, let me go correct that user story. That's really what I'm looking for. And that's the kind of, you know, a working cohesive team where you're really feeling like you all understand the user where it's not about, even when there, there can be mistakes and requirements, right? It wasn't about following requirements. It was that every one of us was driven by this shared vision. All right. Okay, so this shared vision, I can hear it in your voice too and see it. I, I get the, um, I have the privilege of being able to see your face as we talk and our, our listeners don't have that privilege. So I get to see all the passion and happiness as, you, as you're talking about this team and the shared vision you had together. And even that little story about the, the engineer helping you adjust the user story, that, that was a happy story. You, you had a big smile as you were telling it. Uh, what else subjectively about this team Subjectively or objectively, what are things that went into it that that go into this feeling of this really was the best team? Yeah. So I think one other thing about uh, this team was they were all incredibly capable people and it was a very diverse team. So this was, by the way, the first time I was working with an engineering team where more than half the team were actually women. And it really felt like every voice was being heard. The engineering manager was someone where, you know, I was talking to one of his engineers and she was saying to me, you know, I would follow him to the ends of the earth. <laughs> and this was exactly the kind of the, the loyalty that everyone felt to within this team. So it was interesting that even though we felt this way about the management, right, this team, we all stayed together for much longer than I would have ever expected. We were all together for like two, three years before people started dispersing. And, you know, when I describe the company in this way, right, you would think like everyone would have dispersed very quickly, but this is the kind of an environment that kept us all together. And what's really interesting that I think back to, by the way, is, you know, I talk about this shared vision, right? It makes it seem like we were really changing the world, doing something big. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is that this was actually a product related to advertising, And it wasn't that we were changing anyone's world significantly. We were actually being very focused on privacy, safe approaches, et cetera. But that said, you know, it wasn't a vision that, you know, you would say, oh my goodness, this sounds so inspiring. Of course, you guys are all together, right? (laughs) It was one of those things where genuinely it was because 
and, and this, by the way, this was my realization that a vision doesn't necessarily have to be big or change the world. It has right. to be shared. And that's really what this team had. So that was the other subject to answer your question. You know, right. what's the other subjective quality that it was a very diverse team that had this shared vision and it didn't matter whether the vision was big or small. It was just that we really all cared about it. I love the way, the way you say it. The vision doesn't have to be big or change the world, but it does have to be shared. Right, exactly. If I had been there as a fly on the wall, watching the team, watching you all do your work together, what are, what are some concrete behaviors I would have noticed? Excellent question. You know, I did mention diverse team, but like it was really, yeah. as I mentioned, it felt really inclusive, right? And it was never, ever adversarial. That's, I think, a really important part. I think one of the frequent things portrayed in the media about teams that are driven and achieving something is that you kind of have to be abrupt and really pushy or confrontational. You call each other out. This was all really very gentle and our talks were always very friendly and professional. We were assertive, but there was never ever any sort of yelling or or aggressive behavior towards uh, one another. Uh, So that was, I think, a really important piece. The other was there was never any blame culture. So, you know, if things went wrong, it really didn't matter whose fault it was, who did what. We never even asked that question, like, what did we do? It was always from the perspective of, you know, what do we do differently next time? And that was also really nice because it meant that it felt like it was really safe space to both try things and then see, you know, if something didn't work, well, we learned from that. All right. And how about advice for listeners? How could they replicate some of this team's greatness? So, you know, the thing about the vision is, by the way, the one thing that I see that keeps coming up across different teams. So when I find that teams are not aligned on decisions, right, it's for one of two reasons. And most often, by the way, it's because they're not aligned on their vision. And it happens so often that we think we have a clear vision because the company has a vision statement. But almost always that vision statement ends up being very broad. So for listeners, here's the first test I'd ask you to try. If you take this vision, is it so broad that it's not acting like compass. Meaning you should be able to think of a feature in your head and then compare it to this vision and say, does this match the company's vision? And it should actually filter out some features. Let me give you an example. So there is a real company in this world that has this vision and the vision is contributing to human progress by empowering people to express themselves. Uh-huh. I'll give you a moment to meditate on that, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really a very, very broad vision. This thing yes. of empowering people to express themselves, right? Now I can think of so many companies or organizations that have this vision. Right. A nonprofit that I was working with that was doing public art, that was empowering people to express themselves. Right. A company that was helping whistleblowers have difficult conversations in their organizations. They were helping people express themselves. And the list can go on and on, right? Right. This shirt I'm wearing is a way of expressing myself. Precisely. Want to take a guess as to which company's vision this one is? Oh, my God. It's No, it, it really is so broad. It could be any company. 
Okay, so it's Snapchat's vision. Snapchat. Interesting. <laughs> okay. That's exactly the reaction most people have. Well, so they could they could do anything. They could be in the business of t-shirt printing or public <laughs> art production or anything. Right, exactly. And you know, that in itself is very often the start of a product disease I like to call strategic swelling, where your product starts out doing one thing and then it slowly just sort of bloats until you no longer recognize it, right? And we all have seen products that do that. But going back to the test, if you're a listener, you know, look at your vision and see, is it broad where a lot of different companies can be described by this or a lot of different features would pass through this filter, even though you really don't think that you should be doing this, right? right. In that case, it really is too broad of a vision. What you need is a detailed vision that's really actionable. Mm-hmm. So when we built Radical Product Thinking, uh, by the way, it's a movement and it's all free. There's not a consulting organization, just to put it out there. So you can freely download the toolkit. And part of the toolkit, the first thing is, how do you build a good vision that's detailed enough? And I call it the source code of your vision. And the source code, basically, it helps you answer some questions in a fill-in-the-blanks format so that you can do this as a group exercise. And that's really where you can build this alignment with your team by doing this as a group exercise. And it helps you air your differences on where are we really not aligned. Um, So that's something I highly recommend for every product team to just sit down and do this exercise, no matter, you know, how much you, you think your company has a clear vision. All right. This is, this is really important. So where can we download this? Where can we read this? Uh, So it's uh, on radicalproduct.com. Okay. Radicalproduct.com. Yes. And you can find it. Excellent. I want to read this. My, my, my big question was, yes, I believe you. Shared vision is the thing. How do I do it? (laughs) So we've got a toolkit for helping us get there. Right, exactly. And you know, my experience with creating a vision, right, was very often you sit in these group exercises and it's like a four hour or a whole whole day of an offsite thing. And it's just really... Uh, not very productive, honestly. Like I've never, I've done lots of surveys and people always say these meetings just at the end of this session, you never come out with a vision that's radically different from uh, what you had started with, right? And that's what we wanted to change with the Radical Product Toolkit. We really wanted it to be a productive session. And so we've designed the toolkit such that, you know, by the end of an hour, you're actually done with your visioning. at the most, my visioning sessions I've ever taken have been an hour and a half. This sounds awesome. I am definitely going to check this out. This is really awesome. This is stuff that I really want and I want to be able to share with people. Any other advice for listeners or anything else that you want to add? So one other thing is that in my second startup, right, and this is the mistake that I made, we had a clear vision. And yet what we thought was the right way to build products was that you start with a clear vision, but then you iterate to try different things as part of building your product. And so, you know, one of the things that I've seen us do repeatedly in organizations is, you know, in using lean and agile, we work very hard in making sure we are iterating fast. We work hard on optimizing all of our processes so that we're able to iterate fast. Mm -hmm. What we don't question is, can we iterate less? And that's the piece that, you know, I want us to think about because what happens is, you know, going back to 
product teams, when you iterate a lot, with each iteration that is a miss, you lose a little bit of momentum. And so as you lose some of this momentum, it kind of chips away at how fast you're making progress, right? And Mm -hmm. just how cohesive the team is, et cetera. And so... um, so the, the big learning for me in, from my second startup was having a good vision is very important, but the next step after that is that you have to translate that vision into a strategy. And your strategy has to be what you then translate into priorities uh, and then into execution and measurement, meaning that you know your entire product development approach, it should be driven by this vision and strategy. And the iteration is kind of the last part. It's how you actually test your vision and strategy in the market, and then you make progressive changes. But it's so important to really start out with not just the vision, but also have a clear strategy. And that's part of what uh, we defined in Radical Product Thinking as well. All right. And we've got the website radicalproducts.com. How else can, can listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, I actually really like to have conversations with people and understand kind of how they're building radical products, especially because I'm working on the book. You know, I love hearing people's stories of how they're building radical products. So, yes, the best way to reach me is through LinkedIn. And the second is through Twitter. But I'm a lot more responsive on on LinkedIn. All right. And we'll put links to those in the episode description. Radhika Dutt, thank you so much for being with us today. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks. Thank you so much. Likewise, I really enjoyed it. Hi, friends. Thanks for listening. And remember, to support this podcast, sign up for my newsletter at kasparowski.com.